0: Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at North Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney, Jay Carson. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week?
1: Well, I feel like I'm I'm almost through the haunted house, right? Um, maybe not, maybe not out yet, but but we're getting close. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, exactly. I definitely know that feeling for sure. And, and you know, on that note, Jay, I wanted to do something a little bit unusual, but you know, you mentioned election days almost here, and as probably will surprise nobody, we're going to be devoting almost all of this episode to the upcoming uh, elections. But it occurred to me that. Uh, you know, no matter what happens, there are going to be around at least 60 million Americans who are going to be very disappointed with the results, at least of the presidential election. It's a lot of people. Um, And I know what it feels like. to be. We bring
1: disappointment to people every week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, we do. Um, But, you know, I know what that feels. We both know what that feels like. Uh, You know, I, I realize I look back and I'm 50-50 50-50 on voting for the winning presidential candidate at this point. Uh, so I know what that, that feeling uh, is like. And of course, I felt it in 2016. And I just wanted to say, no matter how things turn out, no matter whose candidate, if your candidate turns out on top or not, that, you know, I, I want to offer my condolences if you end up on the losing side, whoever you're supporting. And and not only that, but to suggest that maybe it's not a bad idea to plan for things not to go your way. Uh, you know, I, I thought about that, and I was just sort of gobsmacked by 2016. And I didn't know what to do with myself. And so this year, even though I feel like things are, are looking pretty good, I, I felt that in 2016, I have a plan in place, you know? I, 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 <laughs> I Seriously, I mean, I, now maybe you don't, I, I was thinking, Jay, maybe you don't need that as much as someone like I, I, I do. You know, I think, you've always had the ability to distance yourself from this more so than I have. Uh, yes. Yeah. And that goes back to the time when we, you know, to the times when we were a college kid, I think it's just a personality sort of thing. But, uh, but I think there are a lot of listeners who do feel this very personally and when their candidate because about, you know, uh, is going, will lose. And one of them will, uh, it's going to be rough. And so I have a plan in place. It involves, you know, uh, Setting aside some time for some hiking, some meditation, maybe listening to some music, trying to get out of my head basically, just in case things don 't go the way I want them to, and I would just wanted to suggest to listeners that if you are that sort of person like I am where this sort of thing hits you very hard, maybe it's not a bad idea to have that plan in place so you don't end up spiraling uh, because that can be that can be pretty rough, and so I just wanted to you know offer that. Offer that word of, I don't know, advice and also consolation to a lot of our listeners who are just going to be really bummed out and worse by what happens, uh, you know, on Tuesday and the aftermath.
1: Well, and I'll, I'll, I'll add again. I, I I do I think maybe it is just a personality thing that um uh, I I tend to take uh, these things less less personally, and I guess you know from maybe the, the conservative viewpoint is almost again this is the small c conservative viewpoint um you know look uh, uh america will will go on uh regardless of, of who is the president and and who is in the um uh the you know who controls the senate uh the, you know it, it's it's our, our country our nation is is bigger than like a, a particular set of policies um and, and again, I've, I've been on the winning side. I've been on the losing side, uh, uh, plenty of times. Um, uh, and, and what you, what you suggest is sort of, it's sort of a page out of like the stoic playbook. Right. And that's, that's something that you and I sort of weirdly kind of came across separately, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's, you know, the, the Stoics sort of say, look, uh, uh, assume things will go wrong. Um and and you'll be prepared for it and it it's not it's not pessimistic it, it's just it's just sort of a, a realist approach that stuff doesn't always go your way uh and a lot of stuff is out of your control absolutely um and and this is one thing that that is necessarily you know out of your control i mean certainly you 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 can vote and and uh you know campaign for folks and and do your part but um in the big picture Uh, it's, it's bigger than, than any of us. So, yeah, I think that that approach is a good one. And uh, look, the, the sun will come up on Wednesday morning, um, regardless. Um, and, uh, you know, (laughs) we will, we will carry on. So sure. Absolutely.
0: Um, and so, before we get to all the election stuff, just a couple quick announcements. First off, thanks for everyone who has subscribed and given me feedback on my new podcast. Politics makes me sick, uh, and uh, that's that's been an interesting experiment. I've been posting episodes every Friday, and so uh, thanks so much. And you can find it, of course, wherever fine podcasts are, or maybe not so fine podcasts are, are are available. And also, I always put the link in the show notes. So thanks a lot on that. I really appreciate it. Also, on our Discord channel that's for uh that's for uh patreon supporters i've put up a new listener questions area for people well who have questions and we're in fact going to answer some of those questions on our supporters only show which for this week is actually going to be open to everyone because it's going to be about a lot of election stuff and we wanted to make that available to everyone which we Often, which we do on occasion, just give people a sense about what the bonus show was like. And so that will be up on Tuesday. We're going to put it up on Election Day because, of course, talking about election thoughts after the election wouldn't make a lot of sense. You might want to check that out. And to check that out, just go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. Also, we'd like to thank our newest sustaining supporters, Billy, Kathy, Andrew, and Eric, who's a longtime supporter who recently increased his level of support. Uh, Kathy wrote in. she said. Huge thanks to all of you for this informative podcast. I've been listening for a while after a recommendation from my son, who's a high school senior. I look forward to each episode, appreciate the thoughtful way you all share opinions, and have been encouraging my friends and family to listen. Many thanks. Well, thank oh, you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And Eric wrote in to say, I'm loving the show so much, especially with the students, that I just had to increase my monthly support. It's way more sustaining than spending it on pizza, and I love pizza. So... I <laughs> I really like that, too. Eric's been with us for a while, been very active on the various forums we've had. And so, Eric, thank you so much. And, of course, when you're a supporter, you do get that second full-length episode. You get ad-free versions of all our shows and various other things. And, again, to check it all out and to get that Open to Everyone episode this coming Tuesday, it's, it's uh, patreon.com slash Guys. And finally, I wanted to mention just a real quick thing. Some of you may have briefly seen an interview episode with Thomas Ricks that I posted at uh, it came up and went down. It wasn't anything weird. It's just I actually forgot that I had agreed with the publisher to not put it out until the book comes out on on November tenth. And so once I realized that, or was made to realize that, I pulled it down. So if you saw something and you couldn't access it, that's why it will be coming back up in the in the not too distant future. So sorry about that.
1: Big big tech censored it.
0: You know <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So. You know, uh, a story that would have been, I think, the big story in any other week just about is, of course, the confirmation and uh, taking of the oath adjoining joining the court of uh, Amy Coney Barrett as the next uh, Associate Justice on the Supreme Court. Now, uh, it was an entirely predictable end, I think, to this, right? Uh, 30 days after she was nominated by President Trump, she's become an Associate Justice. And that fills, of course, the position left vacant by the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on September 18th of this year. And given Barrett's age, you know, she's 48, there's a Pretty good likelihood, I would say, that she'll be on the court, really, if you look at it, until the middle of the century, if not even longer. And she, of course, joins Trump appointees Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, and that cements a pretty solid uh, five and sometimes six uh, conservative member majority on the court. And all the Senate's Democrats voted against the confirmation, as did one Republican, Susan Collins of Maine, who is right now in the midst of a pretty tough reelection fight. So Jay, uh, what are your thoughts, if any, on the confirmation of uh, Justice Barrett? Well, I
1: I I would say as a uh, conservative, uh, Justice Barrett is sort of exactly the type of, of uh, uh, jurist we you know you'd like to see on the court. Uh, and there was a lot of talk, and I think this w- this was this was helpful. And, and quite honestly, this is one of the reasons. And and you and I dispute the stor- historical record on this, but I'm sure I. I argued this at, at one point about Merrick Garland, uh, about let's have hearings because it, it's important to get that, uh, out there. Let's have this discussion about, uh, jurisprudential theory and, and what it is and, and what it isn't. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, her performance in the committee sort of ably, uh, set out the that Scalia originalist, uh, uh originalist slash textualists and there's, there's some, some weird differences. If you really, really want to get in, in the weeds, um, between originalists, textualists, literalists, um, and, and, uh, but, but I, I think, I think it's, it's instructive for, um, the country, uh, whenever we have one of these to, to have one of those, you know, real deep dive discussions on, on judicial philosophy. And, and, and I would say, I mean the the, uh, the the Senate Democrats and 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 I get obviously this is this is their job right this is 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 to to try to uh, prevent this in some way I mean push these sort of this is a uh, you know what are her policy choices particularly on health care um, Obamacare um, and I think she she you know answered appropriately and I think for the most part the answers have been uh, from from the, the right have, have been appropriate that listen we don't pick justices based on uh are they going to uh, approve of this or that policy it is their outlook on how are they going to uh read the law as it was written um based on uh the the time uh at which it was written which, so which,
0: which just so happens in a happy coincidence to uh result in policy outcomes that we like uh
1: well yeah yes and no but um i mean i think there's there's plenty i mean for example Uh, take uh, Gorsuch's uh, uh, opinion on uh, in the uh, the case with the um, Indian lands in um, uh, uh, Oklahoma Um, that I mean that was something I think I think there's a lot more um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for Uh, I don't want to say diversity but it's because it's not exactly diversity Um, there's a wider spectrum of, of opinion Uh, on the from the so-called conservative justices right i mean you'll have justice roberts who will join in uh with the liberals on on certain issues because he feels uh the importance of of stare decisis is uh is more important than even say originalism or or textualism as to a a particular um law or statute um you have gorsuch who will who will sort of go the other way on on uh the indian case and also the. uh, the um, uh, same sex uh, discrimination case, which was going to add, you know, with, with this Title seven cover um, uh, uh, discrimination based on uh, sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, and I think most of your 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 originalist uh, textualist people would say, well, no, um, uh, of course, it took took sort of a. I I'd saw. I call it sort of a strict literalist approach, and and came out the other way, much to the surprise of a lot of people. So I, I think there's there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of room in to say that it's just, you know, conservative justices always vote the policy that they they approve of. Um, I, I don't know that that's that's the case. But well,
0: yeah, and I'll. I'll just I'll just jump in to say that I I largely disagree with you if you take away if you take away Justice Roberts, who I think is a is a principled conservative and does does let his or does lead with his judicial philosophy and not his policy preferences, I think. Justice Justice Robert, Chief Justice Roberts sorry has been a happy exception and even though I don't agree with him on certain things I believe that he sort of tries to play it fair whereas I think that if you take a look at uh, Justices uh, Alito and Thomas and uh, you know certainly those two would be the, the the clear examples that they've been pretty much doctrinaire and so yeah if, uh, Roberts aside, I think it's a pretty clear, strong conservative block, and that's why they're nominated, of course, and that's exactly why a lot of conservatives are – have been upset with the chief justice because he hasn't been a tame uh, sort of tool of the right, and that's just an awful sort of thing. And I expect that Justice Barrett – or sorry, I expect that Justice Barrett will be a very tame tool of the right because that's why she was picked, and it remains to be seen. Certainly. To
1: say taint tool of the right. I mean I think there are a lot of you, you can have some really good faith uh disagreements with uh Justice Roberts, uh particularly on, on uh, Sibelius. Um the, the look just on the statute of language. He he essentially had to add uh language into the statute to to make it work. Um and you know, those are I, I don't think those are are, are I don't know to call the call a a uh, Supreme Court justice, sort of a tool of, of the right or left, I think, is is sort of little a little denigrating. Um, well, wait a second. Let, let
0: a... me stop you there, Jay. I mean, we weren't going to get into a big discussion on this, but so are you saying that if I believe that somebody is essentially uh, picked be a, a tool of the right, and if they act in such a way that I should not be able to call them that because it's denigrating, what if it's just true? Well, I think I think when you say should I right, know, should I, I stay in you... my lane, watch my place, watch what I say, I mean, you know. Oh, my gosh.
1: No, I, I mean, I think I think uh, when you say tool of the right, that means sort of beholden to this is how they're going to rule on on a, a, a policy issues. And that's why they're, they're chosen. on. Yeah, ex- that that's
0: exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly yeah. why they're chosen, because they that's I mean, you know, because they're going to rule that way. I have no well, doubt about that.
1: Well, let's 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 put it in the, in the um, so the health care case that is pending now, the the uh, sort of the next Obamacare overturn. Uh, i i think most most every court watcher who looks at this uh is is saying no the court's not going to uh strike down and get rid of uh all obamacare protections to the extent uh that uh, the the uh, i mean it was a was a uh, tax and and the the you know part of the, the statute was based on uh the commerce clause and the tax uh idea um you know, that might get struck down, but but it it would not it would be severable from the rest of the the bill. Um, And I I, I think I mean, I think you may well see a a, like a nine zero case.
0: No, uh, there are already there are already justices who have pretty I think pretty clearly indicated that it should be the whole thing should be invalidated. There's no way that Justice Thomas is going to not say that there's no way that Justice Alito is not going to say that there will be at least There will be at least three, I would expect four and possibly five votes to uh, overturn the entire, to rule the entire thing unconstitutional. Now, Justice Barrett, you can make the argument, and I think it's not an unreasonable argument, that she may not vote that way, and I think it's fair to say that. Democrats who have been saying that she's a certain vote that way. That's that's stretching things further than the evidence would indicate. But there's no way that's going to be nine zero or even or even seven two. They're going to be three, four, possibly five votes to overturn that.
1: To, to overturn and and with, uh, to, to invalidate with no whole, severability.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. To invalidate the whole thing. Absolutely. OK. All right. Absolutely, well, we can
1: we can we can place our wagers on that. Yeah, I, I will, should I should make a I should make. a I will a, bet you. I will bet you. It's at least seven two. The, the 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 mandate may be struck down, but the the bill the rest. The mandate of, was already
0: struck, was struck down, several. Jay. That the mandate that? was the mandate was taken out in the uh, in the. TCJA the tax cut and jobs act the sure. republican so there is no mandate anymore and so the question is without the mandate is can the can the rest of the law stand and i think that i think uh, at least three probably four and possibly five justices will say nope so all right well we will we will see we will definitely see so mm-hmm. l- let me ask you this what do you think about how how this? I mean, how this confirmation, uh, how this affects the prospect of uh, uh, enlarging the court or other possible changes to th- to the makeup of the Supreme Court if if Joe Biden wins and there's a Democratic majority in the House and the Senate?
1: Well, I think uh, obviously um, there was uh, Senator Blumenthal, for example, on the the floor. Um, made a, a big deal about sort of, uh, you know, saber-rattling and threatening that there would be expansion of the court. Uh, although I, I don't think he used those terms. I think it was, you know, there will be consequences and so forth. Um, and he'd used those terms before in a um, uh, uh, amicus brief to the court uh, that, you know, rule <laughs> rule our way or else. Um, it, it, it remains to be seen. I, I think there's going to be so much, if the Democrats take the Senate, there will be significant pressure on them. To move forward with with repealing the filibuster and uh, trying a court packing plan um, that said, I think that 's still a heavy lift um, and, and i don 't i don 't know that uh, they get everybody there yeah, I, uh, I think I think particularly the other thing to, to think about is if i 'm right uh, which which I will be uh, and you have have decisions um, going uh, the way uh, that I, I think they might. Um, that will sort of let the air out of the balloon a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, which is, which is what happened, you know, again, going back to the, the precedent of this is, is, uh, FDR, um, in, in 1940, uh, I want to say forty, right? Forty, well, forty-one.
0: Although this time there won't be—I think it was earlier than that. There's in thirties. There won't be a switch in time that saves nine. Uh, there won't be any switching. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I don't think anything will happen in the first two years if there's a Biden administration of a Biden administration. Because number one, like you, I don't know that they'd have the votes to change the court, even if they have the votes to end the filibuster. And my take on that is, I don't think they're even going to have that because Senate Democrats who feel like they're in a the tough position would rather vote to keep the filibuster than vote to pack the court. And so if they, you know, if they, yes. end it, you see, you see what I'm saying, obviously. Yes, I, know, I,
1: I, get, I get exactly. Yeah. Um, they, they save themselves the, the tough vote.
0: Yeah. And, and not yeah. only that, but in 2022, Republicans again will be defending a lot more Senate seats than Democrats. And so that could put them in a position where they could possibly build slightly on a majority. And if there are any adverse Supreme court rulings that really get folks you know wound up like an affordable care act like something on reproductive rights then i think that potentially puts democrats in a stronger position to do that but i you know i i still think i say the odds are against seeing any sort of significant change to uh to how uh, federal judges are selected in the size of the supreme court that's my that's my prediction
1: well you know the other piece that uh I didn't mention this on Discord is is uh Joe Biden didn't come out with a statement regarding what his intent was and he said his intent was to create a commission to study this because uh it looks to be out of whack uh is <laughs> his words. So um we'll have the, the uh you know the federal court whack whacking commission um appointed um and and that's usually the, the way you know things places go to die uh, yep. stuff goes uh-huh. to die, yep. right? Yep.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He wants to say something to try to at least partly placate the people further to his left, and that's kind of as far as he you know, feels like he can go. Yeah, I agree. So you, you'll
1: have you'll have a, a you know bunch of folks who are appointed, and and you know maybe there's some argument over who, who they are or what their qualifications are appointed to that that commission. Um, but they'll study and they'll hear testimony for a couple months, and and they'll come out with some report. Uh, saying, yes, there, you know, maybe there could be some changes we could do or maybe not. And it'll be sort of inconclusive and and it'll yeah. sit there. So yeah.
0: you you and I would, would talk about it on the show and it would be about it, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, getting actually staying with the Supreme Court, they've, they've had a pretty busy week ruling on a number of cases involving voting procedures in, in this upcoming election. And The court, for instance, this week declined to disturb a ruling from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court that allows for ballots that are received within three days after Election Day to be counted. And there was also a ruling by North Carolina's Election Board that allows ballots to be counted as long as nine days after the election, so long as they actually have a postmark by Election Day. And the Supreme Court didn't disturb that. But in Wisconsin the court declined to reinstate a lower court ruling that was reversed by an appellate court that would have added six days to the deadline. Now, to me, Jay, it seems like what's going on here is, I mean, the media is portraying it as wins for Democrats and wins or you know, losses for Republicans or vice versa. But it seems to me that's going on here. There's actually a philosophy I can sort of see running through this. And it, seemed, yeah. it seems to me the philosophy is uh, defer to state legislatures and state administrative bodies, but don't let federal courts kind of do more than what the state has agreed to do or not do. Is that, is that your take? Or I, Oh, I
1: think so. I think so. And and that's I mean quite honestly that th- these kind of cases one of the reasons why I, I took a little issue with the idea that, that some of these folks are just sort of ideological tools because look they're they're not uh, uh, certainly these cases now in some cases it's it's these aren't necessarily opinions these are decisions not to take uh, yeah. cases um, uh, but but still uh, uh, you know the, the the purpose you know the, the function is is about the same um, no I was actually on a. Uh, uh, conference call uh and the speaker was the uh, state solicitor of of, of ohio uh through the, the the dreaded federal society um but it kind of raised the exact same point that this looks more like deference to uh states um and you know that as especially um given covid that there's almost like an extra level of of deference it isn't just the usual that that you would give some deference to states decisions on voting um uh it, it is it is a little expansion of that because this is you know extraordinary election um and and, and look the the federal courts don't want to be in the position of telling each and every state and then down to each and every board of elections, uh, uh, you know, polling place, what they can or can't do. And, that and gets, I think that's you know, I think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. And that gets into something we talk about a lot on the show. You know, you and I especially is that, you know, w- what is what is the role of the courts and should they be doing, you know, sh- should they be in sort of interpreting, p- putting their will ahead of the will of the uh, of the of the people or their elected representatives? And not only that, I, I think, but kind of uh, a related issue to, to that is, you know, what, what, there are things that might be good policy that we think should be done, but just because something is maybe questionable policy doesn't mean that it's, you know, with not within the rights of the legislature to make that decision or non-decision as much as you may dislike it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. As the, you know, Scalia used to say, he wish he had a a stamp that said, you know, dumb, but constitutional. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Or dumb, but legal. Yeah, in this case. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing I did want to mention, though, is on this is um, Thomas, Justices Thomas, Alito and Gorsuch, who were writing, uh, they actually did write a, uh, not a dissent exactly, but in, in the Pennsylvania case, they argued that it seemed to them likely that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court actually overstepped its authority by essentially usurping the state legislature's right to determine the time, place, and manner of elections as is in the Constitution. Now, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court argued that they do have this authority based on the Pennsylvania Constitution's free and equal elections clause. But even though those three justices felt that ah, they didn't really buy that argument, they, in their words, reluctantly concluded that there wasn't time to decide this question before the election, though, it wouldn't be surprising if this came to this came to the court after. And in fact, those votes that come in after the uh, after the election day are going to be set in a separate pile, if you will, in yeah. case that in case that comes up.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think, um, look, I think that that's probably the right call all around. Um, so, I mean, the difference, I think, in the Pennsylvania case. Uh, is that there, they, they were looking at, there is a, a statute that gives a hard and firm date and the statute says what it says. Um, and the Pennsylvania Supreme court sort of said, well, uh, it says what it says. And unless we, you know, we say otherwise, um, now that, that would by, by most any standard to be classified as, as a pretty severe judicial activism. Um, uh, so yeah. On the other hand, I, 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 I mean, the I, argument I, is, I get that and but yeah. I think at the same time, uh, you know, the Supreme Court did probably the right thing and not wading in, uh and saying, look, Pennsylvania, this is this may be a Pennsylvania constitutional problem, but we're not going to try to, to sort out uh how the Pennsylvania Constitution works, uh and, and give that, you know, decision within uh, you know, a week. Yeah. So I I, I that's what I mean. I I, I would agree with the dissenters and I agree with the decision not to take the case. Yeah.
0: So l- let me ask if you this: That makes sense again. Yeah. Not really
1: dissenters, but yeah.
0: Now, in the North Carolina case, it seems to me it's actually an easier case, right? Because it doesn't involve the, you know, it doesn't involve a, a court, a state or a federal court trying to overturn or, or trying to instruct, you know, a, a, a legislature or another body to do something. But the, the issue at hand is that if votes come in with a postmark by election day, even if it's as much as nine days late. They should be counted, according to North Carolina's election board. I wanted to ask you about that. Do you think that all ballots that are postmarked by Election Day, that they should be counted? Yeah. Okay. And what about – I agree with you, of course, on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what about the – well, before I get into that, I should say that the Postal Service says that their policy is to postmark all ballots mailed by voters, whether – however they're you – know, if they're prepaid by election officials that are mailed, it's right there on their website. So hopefully this isn't much of an issue, but I wanted to ask you, what about ballots that are, say, come in – a day after election day, they don't have a postmark. How, how do you feel about that issue? Cause that's, that's the Pennsylvania, or at least could be the Pennsylvania issue. Yeah,
1: No, I think, I think that's, that's more, more problematic, right? Yeah. Um, because you look, I mean, if, if, if we're going to have an election and we're, and look you, again, me as a traditionalist, I'm, I'm not a, a huge fan of early voting and expanding the election back, you know, through a month or six weeks for, for a whole lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, I'm with you, but, but extending it out the other way, uh, I think is even worse. Um, and, I, and I think unless you have some sort of evidence to say this vote was cast before election day, uh, I, I think it's it's really problematic um, both to the the appearance of legitimacy of the election and, and also from protecting it against actual fraud. And I know I know that the, the, you know your position is fraud hardly ever happens. Um, but if you say okay, we're going to count uh, ballots uh, which are not postmarked and we'll count them after Election Day, um, that might be an incentive, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Well, just to put the fraud issue aside, because I think that that's sort of a, a red hearing, I think what we can focus on what we agree on, and I, I agree with you that it, when, in the absence of an Election Day, by Election Day, postmark, I, I think there needs to be some sort of, evidence to support yeah. the idea that this was, in fact, mailed. Um, now, if it's one day after, I think it's you can make a pretty strong case one day after is probably OK if the if the board of elections is OK with that. But once you get more th- out more than that, then that really does become really problematic to me as well, for all the reasons that, that you will point out. And of course, something that bothers me and of all the things that bother me about the president is his call he's in recent weeks he's been calling for all the all the votes to be counted on election day when you know he knows that that's not possible due to many states not being allowed to even start counting mail in right. ballots or even preparing ballots for counting before election day and that that to me, and, and people have said, well, but he doesn't understand the distinction or something. I find that awfully hard to believe. And I I would imagine that you have a problem with anyone saying, well, we should just announce the result on election night, no matter how many votes still aren't counted.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, no, I, I, absolutely. I think that's that's right. And I I would be in the camp of that. Of, of yeah, Trump probably just doesn't understand.
0: Um, really? Yeah. Huh. OK, I mean,
1: on the one hand, I mean, you can't have it both ways. He can't be a moron and an evil genius.
0: Well, I don't think he's a moron. I mean, I guess oh, I guess okay. there are people who think he's a moron. I, I don't think he's a moron. I think he's you know, he doesn't take time to inform himself on a lot of policy issues. But I'm pretty sure that in anything involving his election and maintenance in power, I think he's very well informed on all that. OK, if it's about um, Donald Trump, he knows about it.
1: Yeah, well, that's 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 a fair that's a fair reading, I think, of the man. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, that's not helpful to the extent he's, he's, he know, he does know what he's talking about and is doing it intentionally. Yeah. Um, because yeah, different States have, have different laws about when they can, um, uh, start counting when they can, uh, make, uh, uh, you know, call races and, and so forth. And, yeah. and again, it's not, it's, uh, keep in mind, it's not states, I guess, or boards of elections that, that call races. It's the media. Um, right. You know, in 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 states, the race isn't sort of called until the the uh, uh, the result is certified, which is you know usually a couple weeks after election day. for For those very reasons that we just talked about, because it affords time to uh, you know uh, uh, get uh, uh, mail ballots in and double check uh, uh, if there are contested ballots, uh, double check and deal with provisional ballots, uh, all those sorts of sorts of things. Deal with recounts if necessary. Um, yeah, so, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I come, and so it's not, again, it's not an official government, you know, agency that's calling the election. Uh, It is, uh, it is the media that, that calls it on, on yeah. that night. And, yeah. um, so I think that's a, just an important distinction.
0: I, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, we agree on the key thing, which is that every legitimately cast ballot that's cast before Election Day should be counted. And that's, I think, what everyone who really cares about the integrity of elections should, should agree on. So yeah. I, yeah, it would be pretty weird if we disagreed on that for sure. So, well, let's talk more specifically about the election. I mean, everyone, I think, is just saturated with prognostications. But just to kind of revisit our predictions and maybe talk a little bit about what we expect the immediate aftermath of this election to look like. And, Jay, the last time we did the show together, this was a few weeks back, you predicted a Trump win and Republicans keeping – I believe you predicted Republicans keeping control of the Senate, though maybe with losing a seat or two – and the Democrats holding on to the House with, I think, more or less the current margins. Is that is that right? And and has wow, your view? I did. Has you, what's that? I did. I thought that's what you predicted. But why, why don't oh. you just tell? Why don't you just refresh my memory if I'm wrong on that, and tell me what your current take is? I guess let's go well, with that.
1: Uh, first of all, let, let me. I, I should should put out the caveat here that I have, you know, after 2016, I've I've significantly lost faith in my ability to to predict these things. Um, and I'm I'm feeling even less faith now, uh, and and that's it's you know you're like they're you're like there's there are guys who who are are football stat guys right and can can tell you every game uh, and and you know you know Giants by seven and this one you know uh, Bucks by by fourteen on and and just you know with an incredible level of accuracy. And I feel like I used to be that way about elections. And I think I still am on, on a lot of like local issues, right, on on state and local stuff. Um, but I, I got the, uh, the 2016 wrong, uh, sort of spectacularly wrong. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, my if I'm looking at the scoreboard right now, uh, I would say, well, Biden is going to win. Um but there's also just there's a weirdness out there that that I just can't account sure. for. Yeah, um, you're not alone. And I, I mean, I was put this back. I can't sort of account account for it in that I think our 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 uh, system of polling, um, our polling technology is sort of not up to the the Trump moment, right? I mean, it's sort of this is it, that traditional polling works in traditional races, uh, but I don't know that it it, it works here for. Uh, you know shy voter bias is uh, 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 is one um the the amount of new registrations and uh new folks voting um uh, just the 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 fact that the where our our phone systems work now right i mean you don 't just get a phone call at home on your landline you have all sorts of blocking technology and um, uh there you know there are a lot more you know telemarket calls so people ignore calls from numbers they don 't know so I, I think there's there's a lot of that going on that adds uncertainty to the polls. But I would say, look, looking at the scoreboard now, I would predict a Biden win. Um, I'm not sure on the Senate. I think it would be I think it'll be close, but I think Republicans still may hold the Senate.
0: OK. And, Dem- and
1: Democrats, Democrats definitely hold the House.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and I, when, when I when I look at this, I mean, I've looked a lot into the the polling question, and, and after twenty sixteen, polling organizations made a number of adjustments, and those adjustments seemed to work really well in twenty eighteen, and of course, in twenty sixteen, the polls really weren't off that that far at all. In most cases, they were pretty much within historical norms, and they're they're pretty good historically. I think you know, twenty sixteen was the confluence of a lot of things, and of course, Donald Trump. Trump won with 304 electoral votes then. But you take a look at that environment, eight years of the first black president, the Democrats nominating not only the first female ever, but a person with a ton of baggage, right? Uh, a, a lot of people longing, I think, for something different, which Trump most you know assuredly was. And, and I think some just some bad luck, right? The, the Comey investigation thing right at the end, I would argue some miscalculation and, and And some hubris on the Clinton side. And it was like a perfect storm, basically. And it didn't even seem to me like Donald Trump expected to win. And then, so all of a sudden, you know, the accidental president. And right now, I feel, given what I've learned and what I know about the polling adjustments and how things have changed in a lot of ways and how the confluence of events is unlikely to come together, I feel reasonably confident that Joe Biden will win. Not positive, but confident. My larger concern is my doubts about uh, or my questions about the extent to which President Trump might cast uh, you know, aspersions on the legitimacy of the election and also concerns about civil unrest that could follow uh, the election. And so I was wondering, to what extent do you have those sort of concerns?
1: Um uh, you will will uh, Trump cast aspersions on the election? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, is, is Donald. Trump, Unless he wins, you, yeah. you say, yeah, this is a yeah. great election. No, yeah. it is. It's, it's you know the Citizen Kane scene, right, where they have the the two headlines and um, Kane wins in landslide, and the other one, you know, fraud of yeah, the and polls. That's a <laughs> yeah, massive fraud. Yeah. So uh, it's. I, I think. I think that's just what to expect from Donald Trump. Um, how seriously do people take that? Uh, you know, does. Does Donald Trump saying that the result is illegitimate um, really ring true with a lot of people? Because he says lots of things are, are illegitimate. I mean, with some people it will sure, um, but I, I I don't know. I I don't see any civil unrest on on behalf of the the Trump side. Really, I, I really don't. I, yeah, huh. I don't. I don't think that that's gonna. Oh, I mean, I think you could have some people protesting here and there, but. Um, You're not going to have anybody uh, smashing windows, lighting fires, that sort of thing. Well, I hope you're right. Um, Yeah. And I think it also comes down to sort of situational sort of of things, right? I mean, because the way way I I see stuff breaking down, it it, it would be a matter of, look, and here we got, it would be like a Florida uh, 2000. Here we have one state, and we have a couple counties where votes aren't counted, or there's irregularities there, and then there's a... You know, these votes should go in, and no, count all the votes, and so you'd have dueling protesting there, right? But it it would be sort of localized, I would think.
0: Yeah, that makes makes sense. You know, Um, one one real concern I have is something that's been called, uh, uh, been termed blue shift. This idea that in especially Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, which by law are not allowed to even pre-process ballots, mail-in ballots until Election Day, that what we're likely to see is initial polling showing that President Trump is in the lead. And then when a lot of these mail-in ballots are counted, even after Election Day, particularly in Pennsylvania, which almost everyone seems to be, seems to believe will likely be the kind of hinge state, that all of a sudden that could change. And then a lot of, then President Trump could try to make a claim that, well, these are all these fake fraudulent ballots that are, you know, turning the election. And that to me is, is a very, is the most plausible path that the president could take if he doesn't win, clearly win re-election to sort of really make a lot of people feel that this was illegitimate. And then my concern is that, Even if we go through and, you know, Joe Biden is sworn in on Inauguration Day, that 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 president starts with, you know, millions and millions of Americans just saying you are just you are not a legitimately elected president of the United States.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that that was sort of the challenge that that Trump faced, though. Right. I mean, there, there were immediate things about, look, it's the Russians, it's the Russians and so forth. And um. There was there was certainly some on the left who have never, never accepted Trump as as a legitimate president. Um, so, I mean, I, th- I think that could happen. Uh, um, on, the happen hand, in, in on the other hand, on the left, terms? I, I don't I don't think it I don't think it will happen in, in big terms. Again, I, I think I hope you're right. I think maybe it's it's we always tend to overestimate the the strength or the persistence of the other side. Um, and I, I don't know that.
0: I hope you're right. You know, I to say on the other side, we could see a redshift, right? In in a few states to Trump, like, for instance, uh, Texas, even Ohio and uh, I think Iowa and Nevada, they actually can count or process votes before Election Day. And so initial returns there could be much more. I wouldn't be surprised if early on says, well, you know, Biden has a good lead in Texas and then all of a sudden or Ohio. And then all of a sudden that's going to go away because I don't think that Ohio. I I mean, I don't think the Texas for sure is going to go to uh, to biden and, and i don't really think ohio is but i think it might look that way on election day for a while then that would make that would open it up for a lot of people on the left to see well see what's going on here and so that's you know that's my concern there right.
1: as well And all of which all of which is is you know sort of fuel for my argument that uh, look again this year is weird because there's a pandemic but uh otherwise you know why can't we just vote on election day um
0: well, and you know why they' making some people, making, but, yeah. making
1: exceptions for people who can't get to the polls uh for people who have difficulty getting to the polls uh have some kind of condition that would prevent it or gonna be out of town um you know all those reasons, but I think that again this this is you know the more you expand the the ways and times and manners in which people vote the the more uncertainty you inject and the more. Of this uh, opening you leave for people to say, look, it's 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 fraudulent or something going on here.
0: And I actually understand that. And I think that people who say that people who try to make the argument that mail in voting is exactly as good as voting at the polls, I I just I, I don't know that they're really thinking this through. Because we know for a fact that even though mail-in voting increases voter turnout, and I would argue that other things being equal, that's a good thing. We also know that a certain percentage of mail-in votes for various reasons are not correctly, are not counted. They're, they're rejected for various reasons. And that rate is almost always going to be higher for mail-in votes. And so I think in a perfect world, yeah, people would go to the polls. And I would argue that maybe we there should be an expansion of early voting and say the week before an election, but uh, again, other things being equal, it's better. I'm with you. It's better for people who can to actually go to the polls because that's the most assured way of making your vote count. So you and I agree on that.
1: And also very quickly throw in just my other two, a couple of points on on that argument for anybody who's interested. Um, I mean, I think the other, the other piece is um, early voting distorts the election cycle uh, yeah. In terms of of messaging, in terms of uh, you know when when candidates are making closing arguments and and you know you, you say people are voting sometimes on on not having the whole picture. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and third is is the really the weird intangible one, and I think I'm the only person out there making this argument that that there's something uh, good uh, uh, in in sort of the national unity of everybody going out and voting this day. Right. Sure. This is the day we do it. This is there's something um a very American saying, I'm I'm gonna go vote and, and you go and you stand in line uh with your neighbors. Um and and there's there's a sense of, of shared civic responsibility, I guess, that I I don't think you get it by just marking up a ballot at home and sending it out. Sure. In.
0: And and I know that you Believe that there shouldn't be massive disparities in the time that you have to devote to that process. That it's oh, yeah, just yeah, yeah. that is just wrong. That some people have to wait three, four, five hours or more, and that we should we should take action. That sorry, that states and and counties should take action to make sure that there aren't those sort of uh, unreasonable delays.
1: Yeah, exactly. But again, that to me, that's that's a that's a local logistical issue, you know what I mean? Well, you, can, you know,
0: I, I think it can part, work
1: that around. And I understand you'll say there ought to be more federal money for it. And, and maybe you're right. Um,
0: well, I but, think, I think just because but, but again, it,
1: it, it base though, that's a, that's a logistical problem, Yeah, right? exactly.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, so yeah, I think on voting you and i there 's not a lot there 's not really a lot of distance between us because you know I think we both believe it in the importance and the and the integrity and making sure that everyone who wants to vote has a reasonable ability to do that because that 's kind of what it 's all about really, all right, so you know when you and I were talking about the topics for this week's show, I mentioned this article from National Review that I thought was really excellent, and i 've been I mean, you know, I've been reading National Review for decades at this point, yeah. well before there's even the online National Review. And I will argue... You're, you're the one who got me started on National Review. There you Review. go. You know, I think it's one of the best places to go for, I, I would say, a consistently thoughtful, conservative perspective on things. And I'm happy to be a National Review subscriber. And I, you know, I think it's a very important publication. And, and that article that I mentioned to you was something called On Trump and Voting Your Conscience by uh, Jay Nordlinger. And in it, he suggests that there are three basic types of Trump supporters. Yeah, the always Trumpers, people who love Donald Trump because, you know, he's Donald Trump, the mad, the people who went out and bought the MAGA hat right away, all that kind of stuff. People who I think, Jay, back in your and my kind of salad days would have been Pat Buchanan folks, right? You yes, know Um yeah. Then then you have the kind of get along to go along Trumpers, the people who it's like, well, you know, everyone around me is kind of doing that. So I don't really like the guy, but I'm keep my mouth shut and it's better for my career, for my whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Go with the program. And then we call the anti anti-Trumpers. The yeah. people who are so aggravated by what they see as kind of unremitting attacks, unfair attacks on the president, that they are they push back by supporting Donald Trump even more than they did in 2016 and i really wanted to get jay your take on that taxonomy and if you found a place for yourself in it
1: i i would say yeah i i would say and first of all i'm i'm a big fan of jay nordlinger um uh for a lot of reasons and i think we it's it's almost like i, I feel sort of a kinship he also writes a lot about classical music for uh, national review and and other other places um which i just think is really cool because i i to me to me, conservatism, the whole whole part of it. It's not it's not just about politics, it's about culture. sort of an overall culture. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh and he is a champion of sort of high Western culture um that that you don't you don't see often. Um and I was I was able to hear him speak a number of years ago and he was he was fantastic. Uh and he's also very funny uh and also, you know, a Midwesterner from Michigan. Um uh so I I I agree with him on most of the taxonomy. Um, if I had to put myself in there, I'm probably closest to the anti anti trumper yeah, camp. Right. Really thought, yeah. Um, al- although it's, you know, to me, it's, uh, I- again, I-, I sort of see there, there's sort of another taxonomy he doesn't put in, which, which I think, um, uh, Kevin Williamson, mm-hmm. did, another yep. piece in which, which was, uh, titled hell no. Um, <laughs> you can get the idea of, yep. of, of where Kevin's coming down on that. um, but on on the just the lesser of two evils uh type type thing so yeah, uh, yeah. i think i'm probably somewhere between the the anti anti trumper uh and the um uh you know lesser Those of two of, of two yeah. evils kind of situation um now so but but no, I think uh, there's been a, a big, a large heterodoxy, I guess you know, on the right on this question. And National Review sort of has, has run sort of this this multiple you know series in their election issue of there's sort of a hell yes, a hell no of, and then there's sort of the well, I you know, Trump, I guess, or or you know, it could be worse sort of thing.
0: And and all of them are really worth worth reading. Um yeah. I I, I wanted to ask you because, I mean, the more aside from the taxonomy, which is interesting, but I think the more important part of Norling's article and where he gets to kind of his his reasoning on this is he argues that that President Trump's uh, what he calls, I guess, his closeness to dictators, his touchiness about Russia to the point where intelligence briefers are supposedly even reluctant to mention Russia if it's in a negative way, the fact that he promotes conspiracy theories, all of that and more, essentially, in Norlinger's view, disqualify him or, or should disqualify him despite other things that are going on. And, and he also talks about the argument that uh, the, the idea that the country will be literally doomed if any Democrat wins uh, is just wildly overblown. And I think Kevin Williamson sort of picks up on this even more forcefully because the only way Kevin Williamson knows how to write, I think, is forcefully, right? Uh, yeah. I, his argument, I took it, is that the biggest disasters of the Trump presidency, trade, immigration, and pandemic response, are the things that Donald Trump has been most involved in, whereas the only, yes. only parts of the presidency that are a success are, are the areas where he either knows or cares almost nothing about, right? Yes. Benign neglect. Yeah. And so his conclusion is that anyone who argues that Donald Trump's presidency has sort of in and of itself been good for America is either some combination of dishonest or delusional. And, you know, I wanted to get your take on that. And I guess also along with what I see as sort of a movement among conservatives who I I've always gotten the sense that you really have a lot of respect for. I mean, there's yeah. George Will, there's Nordlinger, Kevin Williamson, Jonah Goldberg, Penny, Peggy Noonan and a yes, bunch of others. respect for all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they've all changed their mind about voting for Donald Trump. I think these were mostly people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and Peggy Noonan in her la- last column before the election said, you know, I can't vote for Joe Biden, but I can't also, my conscience won't allow me to vote for this man, Donald Trump. And I wanted to get your take on all that because, you know, the last time we talked, you said, well, you know, I, essentially I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. And so I was wondering if the kind of weight of all these people who I know through for decades in many cases, you've had a great deal of respect for, is that sort of changed your view on anything or not
1: well it's i look it, it's it's considered it's for consideration yeah um to to me that makes a big difference that there are people who i find very thoughtful who i have read for decades uh uh followed for decades who who sort of take the position which which is again this is the position i took in 2016 um uh that that look i i can't vote for hillary but i'm i'm not going to vote for trump um the the difference that I get, and and, and sometimes, Mike, I, I get the feeling you're trying to talk me out of voting for Trump. Um, Go figure. But the
0: I just the, think you're making a huge uh, <laughs> a, a political and ethical, more importantly, more ethical mistake. Right. I, I think. No, I, I understand. But I, I understand. and so I and feel I like I would be, it would be wrong of me because you're a friend. I, you know, yes. I think it would no, be wrong I, of me I of No, that.
1: I appreciate that, and I do, and and I. I I, I don't I don't want you to think or else to think that I'm I'm not conflicted, right? That that it's not uh, that this isn't a tough call. Um, L-
0: let me just let me but, just say this, and because I think this is really important, at the end of Kevin Williamson's column, you know, Jay, I'm I'm an idealist at heart. And it's, yes, that's not really hidden. But at the end, there's this very idealistic bit that just just really got to me, and I'm going to read it. Um, He writes, consider the possibility that the duty of the patriot in these times is not to choose one pack of jackals because it looks a little less hungry and vicious than the other pack of jackals. But to oppose these jackals, these demagogues, profiteers and hangers on these greasy little salesmen trying to sell you something that is already yours and to insist that the free and self-governing men and women of this struggling republic deserve better than what is on offer we can have better than what we've had because we we can be better than what we've been.
1: And, right. and well, I just amen. thought, and I just yeah. thought,
0: yes. And I just thought, I just, I hope Jay reads this and says, no, I I cannot, I I cannot, I sent it to you. Yes, I know. And I said, (laughs) I I mean, you did it. It gave me some hope thinking that I don't expect you to vote for Joe Biden. Jay, I know that's out of the question, but what I'm pushing for now is because I know you vote on election day that maybe, maybe you'll hesitate before you fill in any name in that presidential. I I will.
1: I will. And and Mike, I I would say, yes, I I will hesitate. And I am going to give this uh, a lot of thought. but you know just just so so you can kind of understand my my thought process on this uh is is one uh, uh let's say Trump's a horrible human being, I think that's that's a pretty easy easy point to concede um he's mishandled a lot of stuff uh that's an easy point to concede. he has in many cases uh, uh you know snatched victory from the jaw jo- or snatched defeat from the jaws of victory uh, uh for on a lot of conservative causes. Uh, he's set back a lot of conservative causes just by his his Trumpiness, right? Of of the the cause, the the issue, uh, you know. Instead of pursuing the issue, it's gotten uh, bollocksed up with with his personality and uh, his, you know. Again, I can't come up with a better word than just just Trumpiness, right? Uh, he has uh, sort of lowered, I think. The entire, I mean, he's, he's almost sort of the the polar opposite of, say, like a, Jordan, uh, a Jay Nordlinger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a very, very smart, classy sort of uh, uh, a guy. And so, yeah, that, that's that's all that 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 troubles me very much. On on the one side, on the other side, is I think there's there's a shift, and this happened. Uh, you know, I think it probably in 2018, um, with the election of, of some of these far left folks of A- AOC and the squad, and uh, the Bernie Sanders uh rise, and the the push towards you know, hey, socialism is is okay, it's just sort of another uh, another policy choice, um, and the the wokeness and the the tearing down st- and, and I'll tell you, Mike, this is, I mean. Between you and me, I, you know, the, the Joe Biden, the moderate Joe Biden, uh, the Joe Biden of, of the 1990s, uh, I I could see myself voting for for that Joe Biden or uh, at least not voting for a President Trump against that Joe Biden. Um, but I don't know if that's if that's the Joe Biden that's that's on the, the ballot this year. Um,
0: I hear what and, you're saying. And let me just counter with this, uh, that. I agree, and this I think Kevin Williamson or maybe George, Jay L- Nordlinger might have mentioned is that the the AOC, the uh, progressive left folks, are what they call it punching above their weight. And I agree that's true, but I think that's only true in social media and in the media in general. When it well, comes down, right. when it comes down to voting on things, whether it's the Green New Deal or court packing, I think both you and I know. How this is going to go, how it's going to go is those 30 plus 30, 40 or so uh, Democrats who've been elected in conservative ish districts are going to say, I can't do this. And Joe Manchin and a few other kind of more moderate uh, Democratic senators are going to say, I can't vote for this. And so while certainly there's going to be a change in terms of regulation and staffing, I just do not think that I I think that the squad and the progressive left is going to be horribly disappointed with a Biden presidency and unified Democratic control of Congress if that, in fact, happens.
1: Well, and and again, I'd hope you're right. And I think, I mean, quite honestly, this is this is stuff that I I've been thinking a lot about um, because, look, there there is there is something and this is just part of the the, the political game right and you advertise that um, you know your opponent uh, is is not only bad but your your opponent is going to absolutely destroy the country um, uh, sort of i i I, flipped, I was just flipping through through channels last night and and ran across uh, Sean Hannity's show which i i don't watch uh, and i, <laughs> Thank I, I, just, you for I but i just kept flipping game. but but the just the the little the headline sort of in the crawl was like you know Trump recovery versus a Biden depression um, Trump called and, it
0: a super depression that we were going to have. I believe I really—it's yeah. a so, new phrase. You know, yeah. and,
1: and, and look, I, I'd point back to in 2016 of, of all the, the folks who were saying that the Trump election is going to, this is going to be a fascist state and a, a dictatorship and, and all this sort of thing. And, and I, I completely get the the sometimes you have, you have this campaign rhetoric to appease the base. And did I ever really believe that we were going to build a great big beautiful wall? Uh, you know across the entire border to Mexico pay for it no um i didn't i sort of ac- accepted that all the time as that is that is election uh and trumpian hyperbole um you know what what we did get was some sort of replacement fence to the part of it which which i think is is okay um, and and you can say that uh that's sort of the argument that democrats are making now too are we going to get uh you know court packing abolishment of the the filibuster uh, new states, reparations, uh, Green New Deal, all that, uh, stakeholder capitalism. Um, you know, maybe it's all just political talking points. And when they actually come down to vote, they're going to say, no, 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 we're not really, you know. It'll be a much scaled back uh, version of, of those type things. And will amount to what we talked about. Look, it's going to be more federal spending, more re- more regulation than what I would like, but not a wholesale uh, change in, in uh, how the country is governed. Um, so I, I'm I'm conscious of that, but at the same time, I I think there's there's something a little different about about this this moment, um, and and you know what what happened in in Portland and Seattle, and uh, that that concerns me greatly. That that we just might, uh, you know, uh, that that there may be. I I my point. I made this to someone the other day. Is Trump will be gone in three months or four years in three months, regardless. Um b- big sweeping changes, uh, you know, getting rid of fossil fuels, uh packing the court, uh new states, all the all those things, um, those are much more permanent. And and the, so there maybe is a uh you know, I stand up on virtue and say I'm not gonna vote for him, or I vote against him and say, uh screw you, Trump. Um uh is is that is that worth um uh risking the loss of um these other these other institutional things, the major institutional changes to the, to the country that that I'm concerned about. Yeah, that's that's sort of the calculus that yeah. I'm looking
0: at. I, I don't think these cha- I don't think those major changes will happen. And I think right. you're, you and, and you're you're really are doubtful, right. too. But I'll leave it at this. Jay. I think that that 10, 20, 30 years when you're, you know, you're looking at your grandchildren, you will be happy to be able to say, I never voted for Donald Trump. I think that will be that will be something you will be happy to say. So uh, we'll leave it at that. But before we do, I can
1: say I can say it at at one point already that I
0: didn't vote for. I know, but I think you'll be pleased to say I never cast a ballot for Donald J. Trump for anything in my life. Say what you will otherwise about me. All right. Uh, Before we go, I, you know, I have a recommendation this week. Speaking of Donald Trump, there's this really interesting podcast that came across called fallacious Trump. It's it's kind of a, it's really a cool idea. They use president Trump things he said and done uh, as a vehicle to explain logical fallacies. That's kind of like their main thing. Then they also Uh have what they call a British politics corner, uh, which covers, you know, British politics, the same kind of idea. And then a fallacy in the wild. It, it's sort of a neat idea. And like I said, again, regardless of what you think about Donald Trump, he's a he's just a walking example of logical fallacies, you know, when he speaks to those rallies. And so yeah. it's kind of a neat idea. The, their latest episode, they cover this thing called, I never heard of it called the prosecutor's fallacy, which is a new one to me. Uh, they talk about that with uh, President Trump on COVID and masks. And so, you know, I think I teach about logical fallacies in, in a in a scope and methods research methods class and it's neat to sort of see someone try to Use real life examples of that, and you could do it with pretty much almost any major political figure. But because Donald Trump is so, as you call it, Trumpy, he's just right. a much more he's easier to and, do and it ubiquitous. With. I mean, yeah. there,
1: there's there's just a whole lot of material out there that he's he's putting out.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. So, I, and I came across them, and they, they they put out a new episode. I think every couple of weeks. It's kind of a kind of a neat thing, and they also have these really neat show notes. Um, uh, that we should maybe do this. They have a section called not all the time, but a lot of time called stories we really didn't have time to talk about which i was like hey, okay. hey we know about that so uh anyway uh i'll put the link uh, in the show notes there but yeah it's pretty interesting i'm sure you can find it by just you know searching for fallacious trump on uh on you know your podcast app but yeah i came across that and i wanted to recommend it so uh
1: so so my recommendation um do, 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 do is uh I'm, I'm reading um gordon woods uh the americanization of benjamin franklin oh okay um so I've become sort of a big reader of Gordon Wood for for a number of reasons. One, I'm I'm a big, um, you know, revolutionary yeah. early federalist kind of history buff. That's kind of my my thing. Um, usually more like the early federalism and, and less, you know, far like colonial stuff, which just goes kind of farther back. Uh, and also because Gordon Wood has been one of the scholars who's been pretty outspoken against the 1619 project and saying this is just just bad history. It's just just wrong. Um. But anyway, he's he's a great writer and it's really fun, uh, fun book. It came out about 2006, I think, uh, and and really a sort of a side of, of Ben Franklin that I didn't know before. Uh, and and uh, again, if, if you're into this kind of thing and, and into finally, you know, kind of getting behind the scenes and seeing, you know, the founding fathers as as who they were and real people with with their you know weird peculiarities and but, but Ben Franklin was was very much a a pro-british guy uh for most of his career um and and it was he was actually pushing a plan for the the uh british to take over Pennsylvania which was what was called a uh proprietary colony it was run by the the uh, the penn family um and as opposed to a a, a crown colony uh, so it, it's really interesting just the the how he got from, from point A to point B, and there's also a, a funny thing about uh, him being sort of a, a rising from uh, the, the masses, right, and being sort of a commoner in, in that very stratified world of, of the uh, 18th century. But how it even sort of translates into our stratified world uh, uh, today, that uh, Franklin is in many ways seen as sort of a bourgeois uh, founder, right, because mm-hmm. he was kind of a— um, you know poor richard's almanac and, and this sort of conventional folk wisdom and and uh uh saying things that uh, would get uh, amy wax fired um that kind of stuff um uh, but uh um so anyway no i i just think it's it's, cool. it's, it's a fun fun thing fun yeah, thing sounds to read. good I'm, I'm and the I'm, the other thing i finished again okay, i'm just i'm just laying on now because um Again, in this sort of stress, I've sort of been looking for you know American stuff to cling to and i uh I finished reading uh, Mark Twain's Life on the Mississippi. It's one of those books I kind of read and put up and picked up and put down um but again that's that's a wonderful sort of sense of America kind of book that that you get and I'll also put in Mark Twain is actually really really funny that we don't give him credit for today,
0: yeah, absolutely, I totally agree with that so. All right. Well, that's that's. I mean, that's definitely some some good stuff. I wasn't I wasn't aware of the Gordon Wood book, and I might have to put that on my Amazon list. Actually, it's
1: not it's not like super long either. It's not like a big. I mean, some of Gordon Wood's books are big. These you know these huge encyclopedic sort of sort of things. But this is you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Yeah, I I think you mentioned that. I I, I think I mentioned to you that right now I'm reading a a book called uh, "The Enchantments of Mammon: How Capitalism Became the Religion of Modernity." And it's like this 800-page kind of. So that that there's a tome that I'm getting through right there. And I shared, listeners, I shared some a a part or two of it with Jay, and it it made his, it made him groan, and it made me just sort of swoon almost. But anyway, maybe I'll talk more about that some other some other point. But that is it for today's show. And again, remember that our bonus show this week is going to be freely available to everyone at patreon.com slash politicsguys. We're going to be talking a lot about some election-related listener questions. And if you want to become a supporter, that's where you go as well, patreon.com slash politicsguys to get all that extra good stuff. And maybe being a monthly supporter, too much of a commitment, we get that, or occasionally just want to send us a little attaboy. You can do that by through our PayPal site, and you can find the link on our website, politicsguys.com. There's a There's a PayPal link there. Also, something that costs nothing but really matters a lot to us is if you could subscribe to the show if you haven't already and leave ratings and reviews and especially sharing episodes on social media, that matters quite a lot. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, mail at politicsguys.com. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter. And you'll again, we'll find the links there in the show notes. And the exact producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Morano, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sosnowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.